Hello, welcome. I'm Emma Walsh, CEO of Parents at Work, and I'll be your host for today's special event discussion. If it's the first time you've joined us for a special event, a very warm welcome to you. We have actually over 100 people from all around Australia joining us today. Um, and Parents at Work is proud to sponsor these free special events to connect you with experts in the community to assist you with the daily juggle of career and family life, something that we'll be talking a lot about today. Um, so please feel, shared, uh, feel free to share our events with people in your community. The other thing we'd really like you to do is participate as we go. So for those of you that are new to webinars, um, you can do that by asking a question. There's a question box um, and you can uh, type your question in and, and we'll do our best to answer them them as we go. We're also recording the event so if you have to go early or you want to share it later with a friend you can do that so and as I said if you've enjoyed it please pass it on to others in your community. Um, so what are we discussing today? Being not guilty. Uh, can a career mum have it all? Um, we've invited company director Nicolette Rivenstein to discuss her new book Not Guilty. Seven Strategies for Successful Career Mums. Nicolette is a career mum. She's a former general manager for Commonwealth Bank and she spent years working part-time in executive roles while she raised her three children. She now works in non-executive board roles, most notably for Unisuper. Like me, she's passionate about helping women and the way we juggle our careers and family life. So thanks for joining us, Nicolette. Thank you. You've all joined this call for a reason, so please have a think about what you'd like to ask Nicolette or myself along the way, and as I said, use a type in a question box. Whilst you do that, though, we have a question for you. Um, we're going to launch a poll in just a moment, and we're going to ask you just how guilty are you feeling? Because I think given the book's all about um, not guilty or being um, or perhaps feeling guilty, we'd like just to know for you how many of you feel hijacked by guilt, either you know about work or family uh, life on a daily basis. So I'm just launching that poll now. So if you can. Uh, give us a quick vote on uh, how many of you feel hijacked by guilt, either about work or family on a daily basis. So thanks, I can see the results coming in. I'll just give it another couple of minutes. All right. So at least 80% of you are, talking, are saying that you feel regularly hijacked. And there is 10% of you that are actually feeling totally hijacked um, all the time by guilt. So that's really interesting because there's lots to start to talk about today, Nicolette. So I'll just close that poll and you'll, um, you'll be able to see those results in just a minute. Okay, um, so Nicolette, interesting results to begin with. I'll, I'll sort of hand over to you. Could you start by telling us about your book and what compelled you to write it? You know, being such a, a busy mum yourself, was it this? <laughs> Lots of guilt going on. Well, funnily enough, I've never seen uh, stats like that. So, you know, I, I think I'm going to use those in the future. <laughs> Good. Really want it. Good. Um, can I move to my first slide? You sure can. Let's get that down. So, uh, Emma, I thought I'd actually start by telling you a little bit about my own mum. My mum grew up in England and she loved art at school, but she was encouraged to do something practical. Uh, so she went to secretarial college when she left school and she um, worked for the first 10 years of her life uh, as a secretary in London. Uh, she went on then to have her four children uh, and really didn't work uh, in the formal way for about 16 years. She, um, in about 1983 we then emigrated from England to South Africa and for one reason or another we came under sort of a bit more financial pressure as a family and my mom decided to start her own uh, business. So she uh, started an insurance broking business and she went on to employ my brother, my sister, my brother's wife. Uh, and it's now a thriving little business and she started it when she was 42. Wow. Um, and she's still running that business today and she's 73. Uh, and it's business as usual with the exception <laughs> that she takes a nana nap every afternoon. <laughs> So it. she was very much my inspiration and there's probably three things I think that we can learn from our mum. Uh, the first thing is, um, and actually sorry, if you just go on one more slide. Sure. You can see some pictures of my mum. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first thing we can learn from her is uh, that she started a brand new career at 42 yeah. and she took 16 years out of the workforce. So um, these days, you know, we worry about 
can we even take the full 12 months of maternity leave and what impact is that going to have on our career? Mm. Uh, the second thing is she worked part-time for a lot of that time. Uh, and the third thing is she managed to be both a great mother and have a great career. Um, so really that's what this session is all about. Mm. Now if we just go on to the next slide. Sure. Um, my, my starting point is that I do believe we're well on our way to achieving gender equality in the workplace. And I say that because, really because of my own experience, you know, I really feel like I've had equal opportunity. Uh, and um, this, this month we actually had the Workplace Gender Equality Agency release um, its report and there was some good news in that that actually showed that 40% of new managerial positions were being uh, taken by women. So uh, I am optimistic about the future. Uh, I think change uh, is is well underway. Um, when I think about the, um, I'm seeing HR policies, I'm seeing CEOs talk about gender equality, I'm seeing KPIs and targets, um, and even the work that you're doing with companies, um, Emma. At one stage at CBA, both my boss was female and my boss's boss uh, was female. Uh, and we had more than half of the board uh, being female at Colonial First State. Uh, so, you know, the, the, in some ways the facts speak for themselves. Change is well underway. Now, my, can we go to the next one? Um, having said that, uh, I do believe that balancing a career and motherhood uh, might be an even more wicked problem than that of equality. Um, so my experience is that it is hard, uh, very, very hard. Um, it's by far the hardest thing that I've had to do in my life. Um, it makes uh, qualifying as an actuary look like a walk in the park, to be honest. Um, so I feel like I've experienced the highs and lows of being a career mum. And to me, some of the lows are the, you know, feeling stretched to the point that you're going to snap. Mm. Everyone wanting a piece of you. Uh, running around like the proverbial headless chicken, pulled in all directions, constant feelings of guilt uh, and physical exhaustion. Uh, there's now a book which I would really recommend called The Rushing Women's Syndrome, mm. which is about the health impacts of what we are actually doing to ourselves. And in some ways that's all the humorous side, I think, of being a career mum. There's a much darker side which is, um, you know, I've had friends and colleagues go through this, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, which is extended periods of illness, mm. um, uh, you know, chronic fatigue, that sort of thing, uh, anxiety, depression, marriage breakups, uh, and unhappy children. Um, so that does lead you to question, well, you know, given all mm. of those challenges, how can we have it all? You can go to the next one. Um, so as a strategy person, um, I did try to think about this issue strategically. Um, my strong view is that there is no silver bullet. There is no single piece of advice that you can give a new career mum that will make it all go swimmingly. Um, instead, you absolutely need a holistic approach. Um, so as a career mum, I tried to do things a little bit differently, and that included, uh, as you mentioned, I've worked part-time and flexibly for the last 13 years. And in my general manager of strategy role at Colonial First State, that was quite unusual uh, 13 years ago. Mm. Um, so in terms of how I structured that, I, um, well, first of all, when I, when, I was mm. on, when I was pregnant with my first child, I knew that I wanted to work part-time, uh, and I that I fully expected to lose my GM mm. position uh, if by working part-time. So I was absolutely thrilled when my boss said to me um, that I can, could, could keep my position and work part-time. And I decided to come in every day, but I worked seven till one. Uh, and um, the, the sort of rationale for that was I wanted to spend, I thought I'd rather spend half of every day with my new baby than some days where I didn't see her at all. Um, but also I thought it was a good arrangement from my boss's point of view that if anything urgent came up I was always uh, available. And the other advantage that arrangement had was not being treated as part-time. So I think some people when you work part-time you can feel a bit invisible in the workplace. Um, people don't invite you to meetings or copy you in on emails, uh, those sort of things. 
So I did that part-time arrangement probably for seven or eight years and then over time it sort of morphed into what I called a flexible arrangement which was working the sort of 40 plus hours a week but I was trying to pick up the kids three days a week from school um, and then I was catching up on the work in the evenings and on the, the weekends and I probably did that for about four years. So the first thing is I had huge support from my employer um, mm. and in fact had four CEOs who all supported those flexible work arrangements uh, over, over that period and I'm still to this day incredibly grateful to them. Um, if I'm honest with myself, the part-time arrangement worked really well, um, would highly recommend it. The flexible work arrangement you know, I was so pleased to have the job that I was doing, um, but there's no doubt it was harder on me personally and it was um, sort of more physically um, tiring and, and grueling. And I'm not sure I could have done it for much longer than the um, four years that I, that I did that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I've just got a few points to add at this point because, you know, everything you've talked about so far I think is so many people's experience. That, um, that recalling of, you know, the, the darker side of what's really going on, you know, you, we can make light of it, going, yeah, I'm really busy, I'm juggling, oh, yes, so am I, oh, you know, we're all doing well. Uh, but actually there is a darker side often where people are literally just hanging on and hanging in there. And um, the answer seems to be, or the new answer of the new age workplace is, oh, just work flexibly, it'll be good, that'll help it. Um, but the reality is that flexibility is a key part to it. No doubt, I'm a big advocate for it. You absolutely need it. But it's not just about flexible work arrangements, is it? It's about a flexible yeah. mindset yes. and being able to put um, you know, boundaries in place for yourself first around what's going to work for me, the family, the job I do yeah. um, and equally how do I then convey that message because I think often we are our own worst enemy. Yeah. We are grateful that yes. we've got that part time <laughs> and that flexibility so we even put in more effort. We do, we do. And, and then you know it perpetuates yeah, and yeah. so um, what I've constantly found that I've had to do is be my own coach and say okay well how does that fit within the boundaries, am I overstepping? the boundary yes, here yeah. and who do I need to hold accountable for that? And is it me or someone lot, else? There's a lot to be learned from that yeah. and you know my experience is that it goes in waves as well mm. and there are periods that you feel like you've got things under control and yeah. there's other periods where it just sort of all comes crashing around you and you've got to learn to predict and, and, and look out for that and to me the children are the sort of the barometer of what's going on. They're like mm. the canary in the coal mine kind of thing. They mm. are the first to voice their dissatisfaction with, uh, with whatever's going on. And I did find that the weeks where I, you know, working later or travel, mm. you know, the, the kids would just the tantrums and the bad behaviour would just escalate, and mm. you'd very quickly um, sort of think, oh, okay, message received, <laughs> and sort of just you know, pulled things back in. And the other thing that I think was a sort of defining theme for me is the, the managing the stress and mm. the early warning signs. I, I, I learned over time to watch for these sort of early warning signs of, you know, my stress and my anxiety levels going through the roof because there's, without a doubt for a career mom, stress, mm. you've got to learn how to, to manage stress. Yeah, and what your triggers are. I think you're absolutely yes. dead right. Learning where, where is it that I um, find myself um, tipping over, you yeah. know, feeling that as the heart rate goes up or that panic or feeling teary in the morning, being able to know what your triggers are yes, and then yeah. go, okay, stop, that's your way of telling yourself something needs to give yes, or to yeah. be changed. And my ones were um, headaches, yeah. um, memory loss, <laughs> I stop mm. forgetting things, mm. um, the oh, broken sleep patterns. If you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night, mm. you know, even once, let alone twice or three times. And the other one for me is heart palpitations. You know, mm. that that that's when I realise I've taken on too much and I have to rein it back. Yeah. Well reassess. I mean I think that often people feel um, such pressure in that moment because you know, you can't see the wood for the trees when your heart's beating and you've got a headache and yeah. it's very hard to see 
what's in front of you that needs to change and you feel like nothing can change because yeah. you're just holding it all together. But yeah, I often yeah. think, you know, that's that moment where you have to be your best coach yes, and yes. to go, no, no, something, you know, I need to reassess here, reprioritise and really think Absolutely. about. I, I had this great saying with a girlfriend of mine and we used to coach each other through those moments and we'd say to each other, what's just the one most important thing that has to happen today? Yes. And that would be a real level up for us to be able to get rid of the noise, yeah, just yeah. get really focused on one thing well, that really I often has to manage happen. like that actually. <laughs> you know, you've yeah. got the whole to-do list and it's in your head, but you yeah. actually are really good at looking at that and just yeah. going to the, okay, what are the absolute must-dos, yeah. you know, today? I think that's absolutely great advice. Um, the other thing that I think is quite a defining theme is actually fertility challenges. Mm. And, um, you know, when I look back, this was probably 15 years ago, but we had a group of women that I worked with and we were sort of in a product and marketing area, Lots of, uh, quite a few senior women all in one area, and we all delayed having children into our um, 30s apart from one. The one who didn't, everything went swimmingly for her, but the rest of us all had you know, one fertility challenge or another, and um, in my case I ended up having five miscarriages along the way, which was... Um, you know, I think anyone who's gone through anything to do with fertility knows that it can be just a, you know, it becomes an obsession and it's all you think about and you've still got to keep up that professional demeanor. Mm. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, what, what's going on below the, the surface is, is heart-wrenching and it's becoming such a defining theme of, of you know, our cohort of um, uh, women in the workplace. You're right, it is. And, you know, I might ask you, a, you know, a deeply personal question now around that. Reflecting back on it, um, you know, because that's a you know, tragic thing to have gone through and you've, had, you've obviously kept your, you know, career and, you know, this would have been in the throngs of age you were still in at the time. Looking back, how did you get through it? You know, what, you know, guidance do you have for others? What, what have you learned coming out of that experience about yourself and... Yeah, listen, I, I think I am naturally a resilient person. Mm. Um, so, you know, I've changed country. I've lived in three different countries. I've had two jobs implode on me. Um, you know, it, it's the, all these miscarriages. I, I, I do think that I'm very good at just persisting and getting on with it. Mm -hmm. um, I think an interesting thing, question is, though, if you had your time again, would yeah. you have had children earlier? Um, and therefore tried to avoid, you know, some of these, mm. these issues that we go through. And um, in my case, I'd actually taken on a, a, a new job, this general manager of strategy role when I was 30, and, you know, really felt that I had to give that a couple of years. Mm. And I did end up being in the most wonderful company and, you know, so, so glad for the corporate culture and um, sort of the, the teamwork uh, and collaboration that went on there. So, you know, when I look back, and eventually I did end up having three children. So it was torturous along the way, mm. but I did end up having the three kids. So I think if I had my time again, I probably would do the same again. But if you said to me, well, um, would you have taken that job if you thought that you could never have children, um, I probably would have done it differently. I would definitely wouldn't have uh, taken that job at the time. Yeah, look, I think it, the hard thing is, you know, with hindsight, you know, <laughs> it's a great thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the reality is we can make choices today or tomorrow that may or may not have any bearing on whether we're, we're able to be a child or, you know, have, bear a yeah. child or not or, or whether we are able to, to go on to have the career that we wanted. All we've got in front of us at that point in time is, um, you know, what what we can do, you know, can focus on. And at that point in time, there was clearly a role in front of you that you yes. wanted to get your teeth yeah, into and yeah. you put your heart into that. But, but what um, I'm hearing is you also put your heart into and I'm, I want to be a parent and I'm going to do my best to persist and, you know, you're fortunate that that did pay off in the end and you were able, able to do that. And for many, that their stories of, of success are and that are not necessarily as fortunate as, as your own. Yes. And so it's constantly, isn't it, I think about being, you know, um, a working woman that is different from men around this, these choices that we feel that we have to make at certain points of our career around how we're going to, um, first of all, start having a family, 
um, then the next challenge, how will we raise that family, how will we have the next child, um, is just something that I feel is such a unique pressure for a mother and particularly that of a professional mother with a big yes, career yeah, yeah. where there is an expectation that you will continue to climb that corporate ladder because you've always done that. Yeah, um, yeah. So you know that, that constant internal conflict I think brings us back to this book around yes. that, that the, con the conflicting pathways that we can find ourselves going yeah. down. And yeah. yeah, that was sort of another point that I thought I'd make which is one of the thing, other things that I did definitely was very consciously put my career on hold mm. whilst I had my three children. Uh, and some people might think that that's sort of a bit antiquated and you should be able to work part-time and still sort of climb the corporate ladder. But I personally was very happy with that. And in my mind, and this is partly my strategy background, my children were my number one priority mm -hmm. and I absolutely wanted to work. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, um, but my priority was, was the kids. And I was incredibly happy with that decision. Uh, and uh, the, the only times that I wasn't happy with the decision was when um, some of my peers got promoted um, <laughs> above me and a lot of them had become general managers after I had and I would see myself as capable and um, uh, talented as they were. So there's no doubt at those stages that I felt you know, some level of resentment. Mm. Um, but you know, I would just take a deep breath and sort of think back about what am I doing and why, mm. uh, and uh, it was a very short-lived period of pain, if you like. So if I bring it back to the focus of the book, um, or the purpose of the book, what, what is um, the, the key themes, the, the focus, I guess, that, um, what did you focus on in this book that yeah, you know, the, 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 the focus of the book is actually around being strategic about your life, and mm. actually by planning ahead and um, uh, prioritizing, um, you can actually be successful as both and in both your career uh, and as a mother. And the book actually uses a business strategy framework called the McKinsey 7S framework and applies that to a life of a career mum because there's very similar elements to uh, to both. So it goes through. I don't know how many people would have actually heard of the McKinsey 7S framework, but it's a very well-known business strategy framework, and it goes through things like uh, shared values, getting on the same. Oh, in fact, we might go down a, a slide mm. here. Sure. Um, uh, there, you can see the picture of it. Um, so it goes through strategy, structure, shared values. I'll just give you a bit of a flavour oh, uh, for what they, they actually all mean. So shared values is about getting on the same page as your partner, what's going to make you happy. Um, structure is a lot about how to make part-time and flexible working uh, work. Strategy is about your childcare strategy and putting your child first. Um, skills uh, is really positioning yourself ahead of time in the right job, the right company, uh, with the right boss. And I feel very strongly that picking the right boss is the most important uh, of those three. Um, staff is, funny enough, your partner won't think this, but staff is actually what your partner does <laughs> and also what you can afford to outsource. And um, I'm a big believer that domestic sharing of household chores uh, is very much a critical success factor. And then style is um, your style in the workplace. Uh, so, uh, and it's about one of the key aspects is your confidence, and another key aspect is building up brownie points. Uh, so, what I talk about is you basically need to build up brownie points before you go on maternity leave. Make sure you're an absolute star. Because you effectively end up trading those brownie points for flexibility uh, when you return. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? Because um, I think uh, you know a view of the world, you know, ten years ago was that flexibility had to be earned. Right? That there was a, you know, and that's really I think what I'm hearing is some of you know one of your points around building brownie points, and that. Um, not a right, but actually something yes. that needed to be earned. And I think it's moved on. I think you know the um, the workplace that I see now is it's about flexibility for all. This concept of you know all roles flex in many organisations, and it's not about um, needing to earn that right to work flexibly anymore. Yeah. It's about being able to. Um, it's it's more about being able to show and demonstrate good outcomes. Um, 
uh, make a value, valued contribution um, to ensure that you have good relationships with people at work so that when you are out of the workplace uh, and you're looking at breaking back in, um, whenever that might be, whether three months or 12 months down the track, um, you're able to go back to um, think about the difference you made and the valuable outcomes that you were able to contribute to the role, um, the valuable outcomes you'd like to contribute now that you're going back, yeah. and um, how you might do that a little differently now that you um, do require some flexibility. So I often will talk a lot about this need for being clear about the value contribution you'd like to make yeah, when you go back, yeah, yeah. and and how you discuss that with people, um, either before you're going on leave, and then definitely afterwards, because I, I don't know about in your experience to collect, but some of these organisations are changing so often, and when you leave yeah. and you come back, you can easily have it's a different leader. It's very important to have sponsors, yeah. and, and you know, to some extent you can lose them. But just on your previous point, I think it's quite mixed, the degree to which flexibility is a right. Yeah. I think there are some great companies who've now got the policies yeah. that you mentioned which are uh, any job can be done flexibly and, and you mm. can do that but you know my experience from speaking to a lot of women I have seen um, companies that have got great HR mm. policies in place but if you do not have the right boss uh, it, it, Yeah, boss is still the gatekeeper. Yeah, the yeah. boss is very much the gatekeeper and you know certainly things are very different from what they were 10 years ago um, so I think we have come a long way but I still think to a certain extent you do need to earn that flexibility as well. Yeah, it's interesting isn't it because I think so much of it you know is about said continue I like the piece around you know the relationships being important because I do think that um, what I see a lot of women do is they go on a parental leave and say I might be coaching them and and I say oh, what's the plan whilst you're on leave with your job and a common response is oh actually I'm not sure yet they haven't decided or my boss uh, hasn't yes, decided yeah. And uh, I, I'm not sure yet what the plan is, and and I don't I don't yet know what the yeah, plan will be yeah, for me when yeah, I return. Yeah. And often I'll at that point I'll um, inquire a little bit further and say, well, actually, okay, you know, are you planning to come back to that role? And invariably, most people say yes. And I say, okay, well, you know, given you're the one who's performing it now, and you definitely are going to perform it when you come back, you know, then there's a great vested interest in you being involved in how that role is done yeah, in your yeah, absence because yeah. you want someone to caretake And I talk about this in yeah. the book, absolutely be proactive and put a proposal to yeah. your boss and if it is reasonable yeah. and it's a win-win situation, you find that invariably they will support you in that. So if it's reasonable, if you are a star mm. and they trust you and they want you back, um, you will, I think, get very, very favourably received and you know my one of my motivations was for writing the book was I, um, women just used to ask to catch up with me for a coffee and uh, invariably they were sort of five or six months pregnant and they wanted to have a chat about negotiating part-time arrangements managing their relationship with their boss childcare strategies and managing things at home uh, and you know we'd have a good chat but there was times when I just thought, wow, you've just left this too late. You should have actually thought about this, you know, mm. maybe even a couple of years before uh, and, um, you know, maneuvered yourself into, you know, a, a job that can be done flexibly with the right boss uh, in, the, in, in the right company because sometimes I would look at them and I think, I know your boss, he's never going to agree to part-time arrangements or I know what job you're doing and that's going to be difficult to, to rejig unless you can mm. find a job share partner or something um, or you're just playing in the wrong company mm. <laughs> and stop. So you know it is this concept about being strategic and, and thinking about things uh, ahead of time and you know pleasingly I have started to see women you know maneuver themselves out of um, jobs, companies where it's not going to be conducive to you know work-life balance. Mm. Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the challenges for many is that sometimes parenthood comes upon us unexpectedly. <laughs> we fall quicker and pregnant quicker than we think. Yeah. Um, or in my case you fall pregnant with twins and you think, oh my gosh, I thought one was going to be hard now, what am I going to do with two? Um, so life doesn't always go to plan, does it? And yeah, yeah. so this concept of, you know, or we have a view of, oh, I'll be able to do this, this will be fine, you know, we go with a brave heart into it and we realise, oh, 
this is a little bit more difficult than I thought it was going to be and you know therefore I am going to now suddenly need my strategic hat on and work out how I'm going to do it. I think a lot of women are caught in that moment where there might have been some forethought or some planning but not not huge amounts for whatever reason that might have been yeah, um, yeah. and and it, it, but it doesn't mean that um, it isn't possible, certainly, to then at that point reassess and go, okay, well, what's right for me? And I think you're, you're right, you're dead right. You do need to assess, you know, what is the feasibility of me being able to contribute and add value to this role on a part time basis? You know, to what extent is my boss going to be really supportive of me? And to what extent is this organisation right for me? Now yeah. that's at this stage of life that I've entered, and that for some people I hope means really you know there's a positive response to that, and they can go on. But for some, it might mean making some tough decisions about whether that career or organisational manager is right for them, and and yeah. that's a brave yeah. discussion yeah. to have with yourself around. Okay, what do I need to do next? Yeah. We've had some good questions come through. I'm going to start to take some of those questions, and our first question is from Anna. Um, this is a good one. What happens when you've gone on maternity leave, when you're lower down the ladder and you find it nearly impossible to climb the ladder if you can only work part-time? So this is this concept of can you build your career and move up the ladder working part-time? What's your view on it? Now, my view, <laughs> it is a personal view, is that you know those years when your children are young are the most precious years possible, um, not only in terms of their development stages and their sort of own sort of kind of psychological uh, growth, uh, but also in terms of happiness from your point of view. Lots of people look back in their retirement and think what were the best years of their lives and it was when their children were young. So in the event that you have been sort of caught a little bit sort of earlier than you might have, uh, I would think of my mother who started a new career at the age of 42, take a deep breath, you know, Focus on the kids while while they're young. Make sure that you you know you really put in that quality parental time with them, and just realise that you might be getting on that sort of career um, trajectory a bit later than originally anticipated. You know, and now just the fact that um, you know part of I'm an actuary by background, and part of uh, a lot of the work that I've been doing in the recent years has been about retirement, and you know just our increased longevity and. For a lot of us, it's quite feasible we, be, we will be working into our 70s. So, you know, if you do start a new career in your, in your 40s, you know, you could still have a 30-year career. Mm. So my advice would be um, just... What's the rush? Yeah, what's the rush? Focus <laughs> on the kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's often something that, you know, even as a business owner, I've had to, the last 10 years running this business, over time it's really grown organically and on purpose. And that's been actually quite difficult to maintain and, and control over the years. But we, I guess we've always had a motto here around family first. You know, um, get your family sorted first. Um, feel like you've got that under control and yourself supported. And then if you have that supported and you have time to advance yourself and the role and everything else you're doing, great, go for it, do it. But um, I always find don't put yourself or your family at personal harm. Yeah, um, yeah, for, and don't take on too much. I, I, I really think if I think of you know what are some of the pitfalls, one of the key pitfalls is taking on too much. You do a job that's um, you know stretching you or just not in your comfort zone. Funnily enough, I think small business is probably one of the most difficult areas because mm. you know you're wholly dedicated yep. to it. Um, and but. You know, I think when the kids are young, it, it's a good time to be doing something that you can almost do in your sleep. Um, you know, you, you want to keep a foot in the door, um, and and you want to. I think it's great for your own mental well-being as well, for your own confidence and capability. Um, but you know, don't don't overextend yourself. Hmm. Wise words. <laughs> and you, you asked before about what the purpose of the book is. Um, mm. Just about the, the some of the motivation there. Um, you know, I don't know about people on the on the, the other end of the line, but um, when I had my first child, um, one of my best friends when I was on maternity, sorry, before I actually had her, um, she gave me that book, Baby Love, and basically mm -hmm. said to me, "Here's the Bible, you know, <laughs> just just read this." And you know, and I absolutely loved that book. And I, mm -hmm. when my kid was, you know, baby screaming its head off, I would just read through those. <laughs> Ages of it's completely normal. Don't worry. And then you know, it just struck me when I embarked on this whole career mum thing that 
you know, where is the guidebook? Um, mm. You know, mm. where, where is the how-to book on mm. this? And, mm -hmm. you know, that, that is, you know, really what, what motivated me. And I also began to see a growing number of women working part-time and flexibly in senior positions. Uh, and a lot of them were, were my personal friends. And I, I just realized that it is a growing social phenomenon. And mm. that, that is really where, where the motivation came from. That, you know, it wasn't just me doing it, but it's, um, there, were, there was a lot of um, people who were sort of, and effectively they're trailblazing because they were felt like Robinson Crusoe. They were making it up as they went along. There were no rules or structures mm. uh, governing what they were doing. Um, so, yeah, I think... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is... Uh, one of the questions I had for you is what, what do you think's changed in the last 10 years for women in relation to their careers when they've become mothers, both good and bad? And as I reflect on this, I'll, I'll just reflect this back to you as you think about that question. Um, my grandmother was 101 when she died. She was amazing. Oh. And, um, oh, well, you're a good example. <laughs> you could be working to the age. Exactly. My grandmother was 101 when she died. And she was born into a world uh, in Australia where she wasn't allowed to work once she became, was married. Yeah. You know, it was illegal to yeah. work, um, in, um, certainly in the public sector. So um, she wasn't able to work once she got married and then had children. Um, and then if I carry that forward, my mother was born in a world after the Second World War um, where she was able to get an education, just about, that was encouraged. And her profession, well, you could be a nurse or you could be a teacher. And anything else was really frowned upon once you became a working mother. And then there's me, fast forward to my generation, and I can do anything I want. Yes. And in a hundred years, that's amazing. That's a huge leap. But I just wonder whether um, societies, industry, communities have been able to um, fast-track that rapid, huge difference compared to what my grandmother's time yeah, yeah. Um, said was okay compared to what my time says it's okay to do. Because I think there's a disparity. I think there has been huge amounts that has changed particularly in the last 10 years. But um, there is certainly some things that... Um, perhaps yeah. don't as well. Uh, well moving yeah, and I do think the world's our oyster now and then mm. and how do you take advantage of that opportunity? Mm. And one of the things that I'm conscious of is that we we're still measuring ourselves according to what I think of as sort mm. of male benchmarks of success, which mm. are career and achievement driven. Yes. And yet we've got, you know, in front of us the career opportunities but also the family opportunities. And mm. You know, one of the things that I talk about in the shared values section of the book is getting really clear about what makes you happy yes. uh, and what is going to make you and your partner happy. And, you know, there's so much research on happiness now. In fact, the last 10 years, it's really kind of bloomed. And, you know, in a nutshell, in my mind, that research that says that um, work does make us happier. Mm -hmm. So that's good for women. Working who do is one good too. for mental health. Is yep. <laughs> Interestingly, money um, above US seventy-five thousand dollars, more money doesn't make you happier. Um, so, um, you know, doing more and more work on the expectation that you're going to earn more and more money uh, and that will make you happier is quite a flawed um, premise. Uh, and the other thing that that I think is, is, has become very apparent is the one thing that is going to make you happier is relationships. Mm. Um, you know, there's a really good Harvard study, a good TED talk by mm. Robert Waldinger on, on this that I would encourage people to watch. So to the extent that we as career mums now have this amazing career opportunity ahead of us and open to us, but we get the, the risk is that we get sucked into work, in my mind, and you get on that career mouse wheel and you are, before you know it, you're working 12, 14 hours a day. And the irony is that, um, you know, towards those sort of male benchmarks of success in my mind, um, and we actually then almost trade off the thing that probably will make us happiest, which is uh, our relationships with our children, with our partner, with our family, and with our friends. So I, I do think, um, you know, there's a lot that we can learn from, from that research. That the other thing that's changed radically for us in the last 10 years is technology. And I think mm. it's both our friend and our foe. Mm. It is our friend when we want to work flexibly and we've got mm. you know, access to whatever's going on at work and it's easy mm. to, to connect, see yeah. and connect. But it's, it is very problematic with um, the 24-7 attitude that goes with that and mm. being expected to be online. 
uh, and you know really struggling to to switch off. Mm. Um, the other thing I should mention with the the, the last ten years, I, I just think the the company attitudes towards supporting flexibility, HR programs, training mm. the unconscious bias training. You know, you, the CEOs, the male champions for change. You know, that has all really, gosh, I think it's happened more in the last five years, yes, actually. It's in fact, the last possibly five. one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that is wonderful. And, and you know, that, that's why when I look back on my own career, I can honestly say that I have had uh, equal opportunity. Mm. So I, I think if we start to think about, um, I think it would be good to spend some time on the call around common pitfalls and challenges women face when returning because there, it is such a unique time. I spend a lot of time um, delivering women and leadership programs and um, I challenge organisations to think differently about this because the, um, the standard is, oh, if we can just help women with their confidence and if we can just get um, women a sponsor, um, if we can just get them well networked, they'll be right. They'll be able to have this, you know, great career success that men have enjoyed, and lots of equal opportunity. Um, that it's not that alone. It is, if we do not address how women manage that transition on parental leave, their connectivity um, to their jobs, their ability to connect well when they get back, and transition. Um, back in a way that works for them in the business, then forget it because you're not yeah. going to have women in, in the leadership pipeline. Yes. You are going to have women who yeah. assess and hear what you're saying. It's about relationship and time with the kids and so on. And I don't think I'm going to get it if I take that big job yeah. Yeah. up the ladder. So I choose not to do that. Yeah. And I, so I, I talk a lot about um, women who plateau. And, and have deliberately plateaued themselves because the challenge is that they think, oh, I just can't do that, that big a job. I'd love to, don't get me wrong, my motivation from a career perspective is there, yeah. but I choose not to sacrifice family for that career opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, but what I often see happen in that decision-making moment, it happens quietly in the back of that mother's head. It often isn't verbalised as a problem. The leader or the organisation don't know that that's why the person, the woman, has, you know, is not presenting yeah. herself. Yeah. Because that, you know, she hasn't felt comfortable to say that that's the reason why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there is an assumption um, that's untested about whether it could work or not because people are afraid to uh, take a risk that what happens if it doesn't work? What happens if I stuff it up? Yeah. There's my reputation yeah. gone. I won't be able to do it. So. I, I choose not to put myself in that position. Yeah, um, that's what I see as some of the you know really common yeah, pitfalls yeah, for yeah. career life. And that's sort of the yeah. you know the Sheryl Sandberg lean in yeah, um, agenda, which yeah. is you should lean into your career. And I you know I absolutely agree with that. I mean, as I said, you know when your children are young, I was happy to to put my career on hold. But I also had an amazing um, boss at the time who really supported. So thinking back to what I did when I was on maternity leave, I still attended all of the strategy off-sites. Mm -hmm. um, at one stage I, I started coming back to the management meetings every week. Um, I actually did some consulting work while I was on maternity leave. My boss organised an hourly rate for me um, so I could do work. Um, I was on the email so I could see what was happening. Mm. So I, I, I mean this was way, this was 13 years ago but yeah. I, I, I was absolutely feeling connected and probably are doing a lot of the things that I imagine you would be putting mm. in place and making sure are hardwired into organisations <laughs> these days as opposed to you know just the luck of the draw mm. whether you get a, a boss that will support you in doing that. Mm. Yeah and I think there's a difference between wanting to do that and feeling really you know able to do that and um, you know, really wanting to feel that sense of connectivity and you obviously did in that case. Um, it's also about on the flip side, if that's not what you want and you do need to, as you say, take a break and, and be disconnected for a period of time, that's okay too. Yes. It's just about having a reconnection plan yeah. when you want to switch it back on. Because the amount of women that I speak to who've taken a gap yes. from the workplace, um, because they did turn to, you know, choose to switch the light off for a while and that's okay, have realised that you know, because they didn't have necessarily a reconnection plan in mind, suddenly they've realised, oh, they're completely starting yeah, from scratch yeah. and how challenging that I is. I think that is a great yeah. point. And I, you know, and I have watched friends and colleagues 
leave the workplace sometimes because they don't like their job, admittedly. Yes. yes. Um, and then as soon as they go out of the workforce, your, your confidence just plummets. I mean, that is the reality. Confidence in women is a major, major issue. And anyone, there's a great book, by the way, called The Confidence Code on this issue. And it certainly confidence is an issue that I've had uh, quite a lot along the way. But uh, the longer you leave it and the more you feel um, like you can't come back into the workforce, mm. I just had a friend recently who probably took three or four years out of the workforce and she then came back. Firstly, she was forced to go into a full-time role because it's almost impossible to come in um, without uh, uh, completely new and get a part-time role. Um, and then her salary was half of what she was previously earning. Mm. So that's why I'm so passionate about part-time mm -hmm. flexible working. And, um, you know, it's it's not just a, a way of um, you know maintaining your career and staying in the workforce. It is a way of maintaining your own sanity at the same time, and also you're you're holding an option for the future effectively, so mm. that you that you don't get um, excluded. And it, interestingly, I remember speaking to one of my mom's friends who was in her 60s, and she was explaining to me how she regretted leaving the workforce, and she said she was most feeling it you know, sort of late 50s, 60s, because um, that was the time the children had left home, mm. her husband was still working full time, and, she, you know, she was left at home effectively bored. Yeah. Bored, yeah. 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 And I, it's, it's the devil you do, the devil you don't, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah. I often do yes. say that the grass is not always greener. It's about, as I love this coming back to shared values, what do I really care about? What do I want from my family? Yeah. You know, what what's going to make me what's happy? Gonna work, yeah, what's yeah. going to make me happy? Um, another question from Joanne. Thanks, Joanne. You mentioned that you felt a little resentful when you saw your peers who were just as good as you uh, getting promoted when you did, you know, obviously make that choice to yeah. um, uh, slow down at that point. How did you cope with this and show you were still just as good when you um, perhaps returned? So, you know, to me it is about, and it comes back a little bit to the strategy thing, you know, what, what was I trying to do? I'm trying to be a great mother and have a great career. Um, and, um, it, you know, again, it comes on back to these terms. sort of, on my terms, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, not, not, not being sucked into, you know, these sort of what I might call male benchmarks of success. So, you know, when I went back to, okay, what am I trying to do? What's my purpose? Mm. Um, you know, what does success look like for me? And success mm. for me looks like, you know, having a great career and a job that I really enjoy, but also happy children that are mm. hopefully well-adjusted. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, I did just take a deep breath and just try and um, go back to uh, what, what's, you know, what am I trying to achieve? And, when I, you know, when you do that, that process, that thought process, you very quickly realise you, you know, you're on the right track, at. and that's why I talk about this mindset of being comfortable putting your career on hold because it is a very powerful mindset, um, and it's it's it it's got to be a conscious choice of yours. Some some people might go, no, my choice is to do 100% career, and I want to, you know, this is where I want to be in X years. But my my conscious choice was very much putting the children first. Yeah, so I, I guess you've started to offer some practical suggestions for that. Let's let's keep going on that note. Um, what are practical ways women uh, can manage these feelings of, of um, I'm going to say not just guilt, but of, of choices that they're having to make? So, yes, you know, yeah. part of it's absolutely coming back to vision and passion and purpose. You know, what other suggestions would you have um, for women? Because even we might do that work. I still feel guilty. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, and it was interesting looking at the poll. Listen, so my my ways. I mean, it, it's funny that we. I titled the book "Not Guilty," and uh, a friend of mine who's in ad, in advertising, he came up with that title. It was nearly called Seven Strategies for Successful Career Mums," which would not have been so <laughs> so uh, interesting. Catchy, catchy. no, not not as catchy. Um, and why it really resonated with me i mean it is an overwhelming emotion that we that we all feel as as career mums but it was also interestingly something that i really felt like i could claim um mm. so i can't claim to be the best career mum i can't claim to be the best mum to be the most zen you know any of those things to be the best employee have the most successful career but largely i have actually felt um 
not guilty. Um, and, you know, there's definitely been days, and really even in the last week there's been times when I've felt guilty. So it's not like I've escaped it completely. But So some of the things that help, help me, um, the, the number one actually, and I come back to my um, kind of numbers analytical background, is the research. The, the research shows that a happy mum is the most important thing uh, for a child. Um, and, you know, I really believe in, in having a, a, a positive role model. And the research also shows that uh, having, uh, that, that mums who, who do work are uh, high, better levels of mental well-being and lower levels of anxiety. So this, my starting point is that the research is there supporting me. The second one is the part-time and flexible working. So making sure that you have enough quality time with your child, ideally every day, you know, a, a few hours a day of proper quality time and that's not dragging them out of the supermarket or, <laughs> um, you know, get, uh, doing the cleaning or whatever, but proper quality time, uh, it, it really reduces that guilt burden. I think great childcare, so if you know your, your child is being really well cared for while you are working, uh, that makes all the difference. Um, your partner playing their role um, and helping out. So if you know, I mean, for me, for example, my husband used to take my child for breakfast, you know, each child separately on uh, a day a week. And it was just a lovely time to have some sort of daddy-daughter time. And, you know, that made me, that really reduces my guilt because I know that they've had some really quality parent time that day. Um, to the extent that you can use grandparents, that is another great guilt <laughs> reduction technique mm -hmm. um, because, you know, that relationship they, they have with the grandparents um, is, you know, can be absolute gold. They, you know, the amount that they can learn, uh, it's an enduring relationship that will be a special relationship um, forever. Um, developmental activities that are fun. So if I'm not with them, can I schedule them for... Um, horse riding or, you know, or skateboarding, you know, something that they're really going to uh, enjoy. That, that reduces my guilt. Um, and another one is just harmony in the home. So if you know that things, you know, you've got harmony in your home and everyone's sort of getting on and um, you, you know when your home is harmonious and you know when it's not. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> if it is harmonious, right. that is a real sort of guilt-reducing guilt advantage. Um, one of the funnier signs of guilt reduction and you know I've been traveling a bit uh, and the kids now know to ask me um, can I have a present because you've been away so almost <laughs> the reward for you being away is a present <laughs> and I have to say that is a slippery slope <laughs> yes. before you before you know you can be spoiling your kids completely rotten but um, so I've had to sort of put some rules around that so if I'm away for more than one or two nights then um, I will buy them a little present, but I'll make sure that it's not more than a sort of five dollar uh, mm. thing or something like that, because you know you can. Um, yeah, I you know, it's I, easy. I think we all like to yeah. dissuade, get rid of that guilt by, by buying a buying, nice present. Yes, buying our way out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> the other thing that strikes me um, when you talked about, you know, I guess vision and purpose and so on. You didn't use the word, but I, I'm hearing that. Yeah, you didn't compromise on your values, you know. So this guilt hasn't yes. been there because you put what was most important to you up the top and everything else underneath that. So I, I feel that you had, um, you made some tough decisions up front around what you were, you know, what was important yeah. to you, what you cared about, what your it. values were, and you stuck to it. So you had your integrity. Yes. Um, I think yeah. guilt comes in when people feel often that there is a conflict um, in the reality uh, to their to the value set. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just actually giving you a bit of a flavour for, for what these trade-offs are, I think you do have to prioritise and you do have to work out uh, what you're going to prioritise over other things. All yeah. of us have to do those trade-offs and the yes. trade-offs for me were, um, firstly, it's quite possible I could have done a more senior executive role. You know, I was uh, approached about CEO roles and I very consciously um, didn't take those up. Um, the second thing is I always wanted four children but I stopped at three so that was a trade-off. 
um, you know, having reached three, I just realised what was actually humanly possible and what wasn't. Another trade-off for me was TV. I still watch absolutely no TV. Another trade-off was social media. Um, I have really only got onto social media in the last year. It was just, you know, it was just not humanly possible with everything that I was doing sure. to do Facebook or Instagram. Um, and the other thing I think I probably traded off, not consciously but subconsciously, is um, uh, not friendships, but how how good a friend I was. I think I was very good at actually maintaining contact and seeing friends over time. But you know, how much real attention did I pay to some of those little things, the acts of kindness, mm. the you mm. know birthday presents, the organising things? Mm. You know, that is the sort of stuff that really does slip a bit. Um, so yeah, I think it is a really good exercise to think to yourself, what trade-offs are you making, and actually to write those down because uh, it is. And to, I, I guess make peace with those because there's no point trading off something you can't exactly. make peace with. Exactly. Okay? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, as we sort of come into our last few minutes of our conversation, I guess as, as we wrap up, what advice would you give um, to mothers, new and you know, um, new mothers, and but also already established career mothers that are listening to the call, around how to get the balance right? And I, I, I just feel we started there. It's nice to end there. I love this piece around. There is no rule book. There's no silver bullet for that. Yes, yeah. Um, but your, I guess your closing remarks, that it's almost like what, are you, what core lessons are you hoping that people would hear when they read your book? Almost... Um, what I would say is using this 7S framework, and I know that's going to put off people just as I say it, but almost <laughs> use it as a, as a checklist. So shared values, are you on the same page as your partner? Are you clear about what's going to make you happy? Structure, can you work part-time or flexibly? Style, Are you, uh, have you built up confidence, built up brownie points? Skills, have you positioned yourself in the right role with the right company and the right boss? Strategy, have you put your child first um, in that uh, sort of childcare jigsaw and put in place the best child care arrangements you possibly can? Staff, have you shared the workload with your partner? Uh, that it's one of the biggest things and have you outsourced what you can? And systems is actually about uh, processes and technology. Have you put in place the new processes, things like weekly planning, getting organized, learning to say no, managing stress, those sort of things. Have you put those in place? So it is very much a holistic solution. There's no one little thing in that that you can say, okay, do that and it'll all be okay. It is very much a um, comprehensive solution. Yeah, and I guess a, a closing remarks from me on this piece is that um, when we're only human, we're not perfect, us mums, and we are going to get things um, wrong, we're going to make mistakes just like our children and spouses do, we're quite quick to point out when they make mistakes, um, and I, I think sometimes we are unforgiving of ourselves when we um, feel that we've made a mistake over some, you know, a choice that we made, a friendship we might not have um, on it as we would have liked to or a job task that we got wrong or whatever it might be um, and that we need to learn to forgive ourselves for those mistakes like we do our partners and our friends and our children and to go oh well I wish that hadn't happened but it did what am I going to do now <laughs> how can I um, remedy this or, or what can I learn from this and that's why I asked you that question around you know reflecting back on your time as a career mum you know what have you learnt about yourself? And I think it's a great thing that we need to continue to ask ourselves. Um, parenthood is a journey. Um, being a, um, a career, having a career is a journey as well. And it constantly requires us to reflect on it, think about where we're at. No greater time in your career to do that than at Christmas and New Year to really think about how has your year been, what's worked for you, what hasn't. Um, and to think about the new year as a new opportunity to think, okay, well, if I want to change something from the year that's been, you know, what would that be? What do I want to have in 2017 that hasn't been possible in 2016? Um, what will I prioritise? I, I make sure I do that every year. 
um, I think about what is the year yes. I want to have in. Let's God just put it out to the universe. This is the year I want to have. Um, and then I do my best to, to keep that in the front of my mind as I make decisions throughout the year. Yeah. Um, and, and lastly, book a holiday. Make sure if you've got holidays <laughs> booked in. We need it. Um, and the amount of women um, not prioritising um, holidays for themselves and for their families because there's always an excuse around school, around your husband's job, your wife's job, you're too busy. Um, if you do not schedule it in, you Absolutely. will not get a break. Yeah, yeah, we need a break. <laughs> we need a break. And on that note, uh, Nicolette, I just want to like to say a very big thank you for joining me um, for putting your time aside to talk about your book and what inspired you. No, no, thank you very much, Emma. Enjoyed it's the been lovely, yes. Yeah, I enjoyed the conversation chat. very much. Thank you, everyone, for joining this um, special event. It's our last special event, actually, for the year. That's a wrap, as they say. Um, we'll be back next year, and uh, stay tuned for our special events coming back in February. Have a wonderful break, everyone, and thanks for joining us.